0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message.
1: I want to read out of Psalm 27 to us, and then Chad's going to come and share with us. It says this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers come, came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I've asked one thing from the Lord, it is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock, and then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord." This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you, Joss. Hey guys, so as you guys know, we're in our solemn series this week um, and we're sharing this with our marable venue. So that's why we're going back and forth to each venue over the next four weeks. Um, but as you guys know, what I typically like to do is start out a sermon with a question. This one is an easy one. it shouldn't take you a long time. That question is, do you think life is complex or difficult? I mean, of course. Yes. Um, Well, great, because it's always the follow-up question I love most, um, and that is why is life complex or difficult? Um, If you ask me or if you read the Psalms for any amount of time, I think it's because we as humans, without talking about the spiritual battle that we face every day, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, it's It's that sometimes I know outside of that, I'm just complex and difficult. I don't know if you guys feel that way about yourself. Um, I feel that way about myself sometimes. There's this guy called Brennan Manning that we quote a lot around here, and he has this quote in which he's going about. He goes, I like to call myself an angel that has a great capacity for beer. Um, Right, and what he's pointing out is the complexity of his own desires and the complexity of us as humans. And that's why I love the Psalms. And an example of this in my own life is recently, me and my wife were coming back from the beach and we stopped by her parents' house He fed us that morning her dad and he smoked us these half pound burgers. They were huge. And with that half pound burger, I got a large portion of chips like I always do because potatoes are life to me. And then after that, I had some blackberry cobbler. I had one serving, not counting the spoonfuls I had when no one was looking when everyone else was outside and I came back inside. But then after that, we leave and we're on our way home and we're like three hours down the road and I started thinking, my like, gosh, I am starving. Like I'm about, I, I don't know why, but I'm starving. And my wife's driving and she has no clue that this dialogue is going on in my head. And I'm like, man, am I hungry? I don't think I'm hungry. I think I just need some chips. So I, and so, um, Yep. Potatoes are life. And so after that, um, we stop at a gas station and um, I actually, get me a bag of chips and she's the most loving and most caring wife in the world. So she brings, bag, brings back two bags of chips, just in case if I don't like one of them that she picked, she's kind and considerate to me. But as we're driving down the road, I'm looking at these bag of chips and I'm like, this isn't what I want. I, I don't want just a little bag of chips. I'm hungry, I need like protein, I need, I need a steak or something like that, I don't know why. And she's looking over me and she asks, was, are, are, the, are the chips I got you okay? Because I'm kind of sulking over there like, I just made a bad decision and wasted money. Um, to let you know, I ate said bag of chips, I didn't waste it, and I was still starving. Um, and so, um, as we're going down the road, um, I'm just thinking, why are you making this so difficult? Like, this is an easy decision. Say, hey, can we stop and get something to eat? And I eventually do. And she's like, oh, yeah, let's um, do that right now. And like, I'm like, why was that so hard, Chad? You just could have said, hey, can we grab another burger? I don't care. I have no shame. I'll eat another one. Um, but I made something so dumb be complex and difficult. How many of you have ever been there? There's just this small thing that you have made so difficult and complex. Let me tell you guys, sometimes I'm a complete mystery and paradox to my own self. So I understand why people think that way of me sometimes. Um, But that's what I love about the Psalms, right? One moment you see the author of the psalm saying, I love you, God, um, and you're with me and we're together. And then in the next line, it's, where are you? Like, where did you go? And I resonate with that because I think that's the human experience sometimes. And today I want to look at Psalm 27. But before we jump into this, what I feel like people really set the scene for this psalm. And you guys, if you've been in church any amount of time, you have read this psalm. You have probably loved this psalm. But what I rarely hear people do is put this psalm in its historical. Historical context in the life of David. And in fact, as we talk about this this morning, I feel you're going to resonate with the Psalm even more because the Psalm actually takes place in David's first screw up in life. Now, we all know about the big one, right? The Bathsheba and Uriah. he forces Bathsheba into bed with him, so he gets pregnant. He sends Uriah out um, to be killed. He gets killed, and then he tries to hide and cover it. Then Nathan comes says, gotcha, and then David um, then goes on the run from his son for a number of portions of years. Um, but there was actually a big mess up in David's life before that that we rarely talk about. And so that's what I want to jump into today today. Um, And so here in Psalm 27, some theologians believe was written by David after that first big mess up. Uh, David in 1 Samuel 21 was fleeing from Saul and he ends up going to a temple in a city called Nob. There he enters the temple and Ahimelech the priest is worried, like what's David doing here? And confronts him, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And here David, for some reason, decides not to tell Ahimelech the truth. Um, whether he thought that he was protecting Ahimelech from Saul or embarrassed that he was on the run, I'm not sure why he decided to lie. Um, but in 1 Samuel 21, verses two through three, it says, "'The king has sent me on a private matter,' David said. "'He told me not to tell anyone why I am here. "'I have told my men where to meet me later. "'Now, what is there to eat? "'Give me five loaves of bread or anything else you have.'" David was seemingly desperately hungry at this moment and wanted food. So that may have been the reason why he lied. Not a big deal, right? That's not like a gigantic lie. Um, Just a small little lie to get some food, or possibly to be a nice person and give Ahimelech plausible deniability um, to help David. Because if David knows why and Ahimelech helps David, he may get in trouble. Um, All good, right? Well, as the story continues, David then goes to and hides in a cave in Adullam, but King Saul at this point is raging. He is hysterically yelling at his troops, literally out of his mind, in insecurity and power trying to find David. It just so happens that a guy named Doag was there when Saul was raging, but he was also there when David was at the temple talking to Ahimelech. So Doag rats out David and Saul goes to Ahimelech. And this is where I want to pick back up. We have these verses. It's going to be 1 Samuel 22, verses 14 through 23. But sir, Ahimelech replied, is anyone among all your servants as faithful as David, your son-in-law? Why? He is the captain of your bodyguard and a highly honored member of your household. This was certainly not the first time I had consulted God for him. "'May the king not accuse me and my family in this matter, "'for I knew nothing at all of any plot against you.'" And he's talking to Saul. And then Saul says, "'You will surely die, Ahimelech, "'along with your entire family,' the king shouted. "'And he ordered the bodyguards, "'kill these priests of the Lord, "'for they are allies and conspirators with David. "'They knew he was running from me, "'but they didn't tell me. "'But Saul's men refused to kill the Lord's priests.'" Then the king said to Doag, you do it. So Doag the Edomite turned on them and killed them that day, 85 priests in all, still wearing their priestly garments. Then he went to Nob, the town of the priest, and killed the priest's families, men and women, children and babies, and all the cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats. That's crazy, right? That's insane. In verse 20, only Abba, Abathar, one of the sons of Ahimelech, escaped the fled to David. When he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord, David exclaimed, I knew it. When I saw Doeg the Edomite there that day, I knew he was Sir tell Saul. Now listen to what David said. Now I have caused the death of all your father's family. Stay here with me, do not be afraid. I will protect you with my own life for the same person wants to kill us both. Wow. I want to real quick talk about how David responds to this. David doesn't blame a sadistic, insecure, unreasonable, out of his mind King Saul when he could, right? He doesn't blame Doag who rated him out and killed all the people for Saul. David blames himself. And I think that's the thing about David. No matter where you find him, whenever he's confronted, whenever he realizes what he has done, David does something which is one of the most noble things in the room or in the world is he always assumes responsibility no matter what other people do. David says, "That's on me." Not the sadistic king, even though he could, right? He has Like he has the bigger sin, right? He killed the people. He's sadistic. He's out of his mind. David goes, no, my little white lie led to this moment because he didn't give Ahimelech a choice to help David whether or not in the truth and David knew it. And so that sets the scene. Psalm 27, after David got 85 priests and a whole town killed. So let's go back to Psalm 27 and let's read this again in that context. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, Hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God, of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your ways, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. How many of you guys think David is a complex person? Right. How many of you feel that complexity in your own life? I do. And in the complexity of the world and himself David pins these words in verse 4 which I think which I think everything from the whole psalm flows it's this I have asked one thing from the Lord it is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple David just longs for simplicity in the midst of complexity and difficulty How many of you guys feel that? When life gets complex, when things get difficult, we always think about simpler times of, man, when I was a kid, I didn't have to pay all these bills or something like that. Or when we're dealt with a loss, we think back in the simpler times when we were with that person. This is what David is saying. And in the midst of complexity and difficult, what really matters in life really hones in, right? It just makes sense though, doesn't it? He says, God, I just, I just need to be with you and everything will be fine. It's simplistic, but do, but, but do you see the obviousness in it? David is saying, well, of course, if I believe that there is only one sovereign being, then it's obvious that as long as I am close and abiding with him, that's all I really need to do. And for us today, we have lived, honestly, guys, in a year and a half filled with chaos and complexity, whether in our own personal lives or the world. And I know I feel that. And to get a bit prophetic and pastoral with you today, I feel like, guys, I've been in conversations with not just vineyard people, but people outside of the vineyard in our communities. And it just feels like the Lord is calling the church, all of us back to simplicity because we've been so moved by the chaos around us for so long. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to be fulfilled in Him, to desire Him and to seek and wait on him. Jesus, guys, is beautiful. David, who in this psalm, shows a little hint of apprehension towards the Lord. uh, And what the Lord may feel about him says this in verse nine. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away from anger. How many of you have possibly ever prayed that one before? I have. Um, because we have this natural tendency to think, well, if the Lord's angry with me, he won't um, be, be near to me, he won't answer or hear my prayers like he normally would. But if you've been a Christian, and if you've been a part of our church for any amount of time, we know that we drill that into your guy's head that that's just not true. Romans 5, eight, but God showed his great love by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Guys, your sin is not a barrier to God. If your sin was a barrier to God, then Jesus would have never came in a sinful world to come to sinful priests and pre- people who did not know him. Sin did not was not a barrier of Jesus coming. And it never is. But sometimes we have that emotion as if it is a barrier. But it's never been. One of the things I've marveled at over the last year is how Jesus responded to those trying to trick trap and accuse him. Um, there's this story. story in Matthew three verses one through six of a man with a withered hand coming to Jesus in the temple and the Pharisees are like just sitting back because they know Jesus is a sucker with compassion. A man with a withered hand coming before him, like that's like easy game. He's gonna heal someone on the Sabbath. And we're going to catch him in a sin because you can't do that on the Sabbath. And what does Jesus do? Of course, He heals the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath, and then they go back after that, um, from that point in time, seeking for a way to kill him. It says in the scripture. And I marvel, marvel at Jesus because Jesus all throughout the gospels and, or that I've seen in the last year, he goes into these rooms with people with perverse motives, with people that wanna trick him, accuse him and get him and it never changes love. And what they wanna accuse him of and what they think about him never changes his identity. It, it would change mine, what people think and say about me, but never Jesus and that's beautiful to me. Um, and this is, it's awesome that this is small because I'm gonna get personal with you guys. I have a pastor. Um, so 2020 was simply easy for me. 2021 has been more of a difficult year. Um, back in January and in June, my wife my wife has had two miscarriages. Um, and during those times, especially the first one that it, the first time it happened, we weren't expecting that one. The second one, we kind of were. Um, so we were kind of prepared for that news. But um, on that first one, whenever um, we're, we're on our way back home and as we're driving back home, I haven't cried yet. I was pretty strong. Um, I had felt the presence of the Lord. Um, But I got down to Sandy Springs Road right down here. It's close to our house. And I just lose it. As you stop there and you let all the runners go past and I'm stopping letting the runners go past, I just lose it and I'm crying. And the reason why I'm crying is not the pain. The reason why I was honestly crying was because I felt the Lord's goodness and love for me. I feel his goodness and love for my wife. And I just bawl. And my wife's like, are you okay? And I just look at her and I go, I'm just thankful that in these moments of life, the Lord's goodness has never changed for me. The second time this happened, um, I was in the waiting room. And you guys know me by now. I'm a kingdom now guy. I'm a guy that lay hands and says, be healed. I'm for it. I'm always down for it. I'm gonna take every chance I get I do it right before we get the news. And then I remember just sitting there and the presence of the Lord just came on me and God spoke to me. He says, hey, don't give up. Don't give up. And I can get bitter and mad like, God, why would your presence show up for this, but not for that, right? And the Lord's saying, don't give up. Don't lose purpose. Keep on going. And so in my own personal life, guys, in the midst of pain, I've always found promise with God. When you're going through pain and it feels bad, there's always promise in Jesus, even when things are bad, even when you're struggling. And I love that. Um, I have a podcast pastor I tune into every week named Jordan saying, he says this about Jesus. God isn't really sown by his power He's sown by the combination of his power and his vulnerability. Yes, he's all powerful, but he suffers with you. Yes, he's Lord, but he won't lord it over you. If he were merely wondrous, he'd be unreachable, but he's also lowly, so you can trust him. And I love that. Paul in Philippians three, verses seven through eight says, I once thought these things were valuable were valuable, talking about all his uh, accomplishments in the past, he says, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Right? Everything comes into perspective. It's knowing Jesus. And when we get to the simplistic part of life, knowing the beauty of the Lord and seeking him, seeking his beauty, seeking his presence, like that's all our heart really wants and we fill it with so much other stuff. And David gives us two ways of beholding Jesus. These aren't like uh, secrets and these aren't things in which you're gonna be like, well, thanks for that revelation, dude. Uh, They're actually really hard things. And that's what he says. He says, Lord, my heart will seek you. And then he says, "I will wait." These are two practices. Honestly, guys, I feel that are a lost art in the church today. The church anymore, we we like we don't talk about seeking and waiting. I rarely have a conversation of someone coming up to me and saying, "Man, I've spent, I, I've, I took off my saturday, my Saturday or Friday, completely and I just went to the word, woods and waited on God." Or I've just took this time and I was just seeking him and waiting for him to come speak to me. And those are lost arts in the church and something that I feel in simplicity, God is calling us back to because the Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And then secondly, waiting. We can look at all the verses in the Bible about waiting, but it's always coupled with renewed strength. So in seeking and waiting, we are drawing on the heart of God. I know many people have had questions about how I experienced the Holy Spirit and stuff like that. The only thing I can tell you guys is I don't ask the Holy Spirit to come and it just comes. Um, I take time and I ask him to come and I wait and he's God, so he does what he wants to. Am I right? I have to wait for him. We have to wait for him. So for Law today, I wanna ask you, what may you be holding on to, hurt by a word that may be stopping you from simply coming back to the simplicity of beholding the Lord's goodness and wanting to know him more? What opinions or things have you been mad at gripping so tight that has taken away your ability just to love Him? Just to simply love Him, to come to the Scriptures and see His beauty, to see the way He walks in compassion and love, and just to behold Him and love Him. If you were to look at your prayers recently over the last year, what's the one thing you've been asking for? Like I said earlier, I believe God is calling back his church to simplicity, to its first love, to behold his beauty and live out of that place. For me recently, just coming back off on vacation, God's like, you become real rigid. You've grabbed stuff in your hands. Will you lay them down to me? And I'm always a guy with that language. I'm like, yes, but I've got them back. And I've been like, no, (laughs) like, like I want to hold on to these things. It hurts to lay them down. But he's still asking me, hey, will you lay these things down? Because you're going to see me in a way you haven't before. So what may Jesus be speaking to you right now? That you can lay down so that you can behold his beauty. And allow the Holy Spirit to come and realign your heart with his. Because the Holy Spirit does this thing of where when we lay those things down, um, he just aligns our heart with God. And when the Holy Spirit aligns your heart with God, I'm a big missing guy, I love missing so much, but, but when you're beholding Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and realigns your heart with God's heart, you start to wanna go on missing. You'll sacrifice, you'll do anything for the missing God. You'll reach out to your neighbor, you'll have that awkward conversation because of the beauty of God and the goodness of Jesus. So hey, as we enter this time, I'm going to pray Um, and just bless you guys, but I just want you guys to respond back to the Lord. Um, And one of the ways um, I'm gonna suggest that you do that today is um, that you, um, I'm pretty sure that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about an action step, about do you need to lay something down? Do you need to have that conversation? Or um, he may be calling you to something new And I just want you to decide on an action step with God today. What's the one thing you need to lay down or do to get back to the simplicity, um, to get back to beholding the Lord and his beauty, that this one thing I ask for, it's God, it's to know you more. It's to know you more. So let me pray. Holy Spirit, I love you. I ask for you to come. Father, David said this one thing I asked for, and God, I think the one thing I'm asking for right now, Father, that you would give us a revelation of your beauty and your goodness that we've never seen before. God, that we will see you more fully than what we've ever had in this room right now. And so, Father, if you're convicting our hearts, we thank you that our heart's alive in you and that we're your son or daughter. And Jesus, I pray that you come into this right now and speak to us and invite us, Lord, into the mystery and adventure, Father, of getting to know you in our daily walk with you. Father, if our hearts don't feel like this is the one thing that we desire, and it's been a long time, Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would start to ignite our hearts and ignite that desire within us. And so, Jesus, we wait on you. And we love you. And it's your name we pray, amen.